We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Napa know-how. A Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by RealitySportsOnline.com. Be sure to use the promo code WirePod and sign up today. Derek Van Riper here with Mario Puig on this Friday. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or some other app or platform where you can leave us a nice rating or review, we would greatly appreciate it if you took a few minutes to do that. It's kind of the podcast tip jar. Snacks are accepted as well. You can find the address on the website. Send lots of snacks. We are all very hungry. Uh, some big news on this Friday, Mario. We found out this morning Le'Veon Bell is facing a four-game suspension for missing a drug test. I believe that was about a month or so ago. He is actually appealing that suspension right now. And of course, Bell uh, was suspended three games last season. That got appealed down to two. D'Angelo Williams ran very well in his absence. And then again, once Bell went down with a knee injury later on in the season, I feel like there's almost no chance he's going to win the appeal. I mean, perhaps the suspension goes from four to three or something like that. But at the same time, Roger Goodell, with regards to drug testing, especially for someone who's been suspended for a positive test, for pot before sorry was that was it a failed test or was it when like he got like busted in the car with blount uh i thought it was a failed test but maybe let oh, me maybe let not. me let me review that but um yeah either way the, the broader point you're making i think is is true like a it's a repeat so appeals kind of get less sympathy if you've, you've kind of already been in this boat like a year ago and uh bell's bell's also kind of unique as far as this goes because he was the one who tweeted on uh april 20th like oh man uh, just something like it what do you 
just my luck that I got a test on 420. Like, good luck with that sample or something. So it's like he, not that that should matter. It's not like that's a, that he, he could have been just joking. But then, uh, then again, he did miss a test shortly after that. So, so the, the test, yeah, he missed the test this time. He didn't fail a test last time. It was uh, an arrest on charges of marijuana possession and DUI. That was when he got pulled over with Blount, Garrett Blunt, yeah. who, yeah, was his teammate at the time. So it was not a positive test before, but. Uh, for an, an arrest on those charges, uh, nonetheless, like, with, with a with a prior instance of a drug related problem, it yeah. just doesn't seem like Goodell's going to back off a whole lot here on uh, Le'Veon Bell. So with D'Angelo Williams kind of stepping up again, expectations will be pretty high for him. As Bell goes, if the four game suspension holds up, just how much do you downgrade him, knowing that you're not going to have him for more than like a quarter of the regular season when you think about the fantasy playoffs picking up in week 15 in many leagues well we're not taking them in the first round right like at, at the soonest it would probably be like late second or something i mean it's it's hard to it's not super easy to make the playoffs anyway when you the cutoff is what 13 in most leagues or 12 or something like that so you can't really afford to just tank four weeks and then assume you're going to go like seven and one in the rest of them and and you know sneak into the playoffs so it's it's he can't be your foundation basically like he's he's got to be viewed as like a luxury thing and so i don't know what like there's not that many cases like case studies that we can look at for like what 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 works in situations like this but 12 games of Lavian bell assuming that his knee is okay and that he's not like at all rusty when he first comes back that would basically be like that, that would safely put him in running back two status so wherever you would probably take like a top tier running back to like he should he does it sound reasonable to you to say like uh like 15th or 16th running back or something like that yeah he might even fall a little more than that though like i mean i guess uh, maybe not because running backs are falling so much as a whole i think when you look at the position it, it's shifted back further in terms of adp i mean Lashawn mccoy in the nffc right now has an adp of 45 but that that has to go up slightly and yeah and this is the kind of thing that can help it in general but yeah like i mean i would definitely take mccoy over him i i, I guess where it gets hard for me is when we're talking about guys like rawls and like i think i would take hyde over bell um but yeah like in that in like demarco murray cj anderson kind of range is that where we start to contemplate it yeah i, I think that's about right i don't know if he'll fall that far i don't I, think he will either i, I think in, in most in most cases he goes mid to late round two no later than the middle of round three depending on how risk averse your league is depending on yeah. uh, size too i mean in a 10 team league especially it's easier to get by without right. Le'Veon bell in those early weeks if you're in a 14 team league something along those lines something even deeper then it becomes even more problematic because your replacement level goes down considerably. If you have small benches, it keeps you from uh, taking flyers on some other younger, talented players as well. So it really does uh, kind of tie up your roster. It'll be hard to on. own him. Uh, it'll be hard to acquire and own Bell in the stake league, for instance. Yeah. What, what do you think the dollars are going to look like there? Like 25 oh, 28 maybe? Like, no idea. Because like, especially in an au- auctions might be even weirder with him because it's like who people are bad at uh um you know taking something as abstract as value when it's not like tiered for them in a snake draft format when you have to like just make it in a in a vacuum you know uh that's geez i don't know what I'm, i'm not likely to own him in any scenario it's just i think i'm i'm kind of I'm kind of just afraid of that uh, overpaying for something like that, especially since, I mean, who knows? I mean, D'Angelo Williams, if he plays as well as he did last year, not that he's going to be the starter or something when Le'Veon Bell comes back, but they might at least, you know, be like, hey, you, you earned this, have, have, have more than the five carries per game we otherwise would have given you if Bell hadn't gotten suspended. So that's uh, a possibility. And the one thing I thought about in the auction is that you could maybe buy Bell and Williams in that format. If you get enough of a discount on Le'Veon Bell and then the price on D'Angelo Williams doesn't get popped up too high, you could spend 45 bucks on those two guys and lock up the Steelers' backfield for the whole season it, the, the extra roster spots a factor yeah but you remove the guesswork of figuring out what you're going to do and you're paying roughly the price that bell would have gone for without the suspension anyway yeah so i guess it's like if if you set the line of like what you originally considered uh bell's auction value in a 16 game assumption and then you know if you can find a way to get those two under that mark it might 
you know, turn out the same, all this, you know, all the same either way. Yeah, I kind of wonder what's going to happen also in my home league. I think that's a keeper league. So the price there could get pushed up a little higher because next year you could keep them at the same price. And assuming there are no further issues, that would end up being a nice source of value going into 2017. But with running back health in particular, especially with a guy coming off knee surgery, that's probably looking a little too far ahead. Yeah, and in long term, like keeper in Dynasty, I think Bell's like way down like because if he gets another what like if it would it would be like at least eight games or a season if he gets another failed test or misses a test or right even yeah. like an arrest like, that, that's the funny thing he doesn't even he hasn't failed a test like i i thought he did based on the previous punishment but that was an arrest for possession it's so strange that you think about the josh gordon case it, once you get into the funnel for for roger goodell for the for the use of pot like nothing good happens to you at all regardless of how small your missteps might be right. after your first one yeah uh the, the the nfl's disciplinary system is definitely a bit backwards um that's that's one thing that isn't uh hard to figure out in all of this very 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 true uh with d'angelo williams last year there were a lot of skeptics the price was very low this time around i imagine the price will be quite a bit higher earlier on the xm show we were looking at him as maybe i, I thought like a seventh round pick if we're in like a 12 or a 14 team league somewhere thereabouts you thought maybe like sixth round for him i mean just just to, especially in like public leagues like can i can imagine just people kind of going overboard with it just just going way too overboard with it and f- f- also, there's there's people who might you know factor in Bell's knee and be like, oh, maybe it's going to be a split backfield or something. I don't know. I'm not. I'm just not likely to get him whatever he's going to cost because I'm I'm I I think I'll know more than the other people doing it. I guess, but I just it's it just feels like one of those things where the the range of opinions might be pretty big and like the people at the top might be like way higher than everybody else i don't know all it takes is one now you look at the adp report for running backs right now if you were going to go i don't know let's say around pick 75 that would put him just outside the top 25 perhaps in terms of the position i mean geo bernard's 25th and running back adp is going 78th overall uh, Gio and Hill and Jay Ajayi, whose stock will probably fall a bit with Arian Foster now in tow, and then TJ Yeldon all kind of lumped together. I, I could see D'Angelo Williams at least jumping up to that point with four games as the, the starter. And I think, again, you're going to see a lot of people trying to handcuff Bell with Williams to avoid uh, the yeah. problems that might arise from only having one versus the other. Now, the other big story from this morning was uh, it's been kind of a bizarre news day as a result of this. Ezekiel Elliott's ex-girlfriend has posted photos to her Instagram account alleging a domestic violence incident, but it's a really strange combination of things that has led this to look like a scenario where it it almost seems like he's being set up. There's a high-ranking Cowboys team official saying that Elliott has proof that his ex-girlfriend is actually trying to set him up, and that's exactly what's going on, but we really don't know just yet. The details are still trickling in. Maybe even by the end of the day today on Friday, we'll know a lot more about what exactly transpired. At this point, I know some people are going to say, where there's smoke, there's fire. I don't think that's necessarily true in this case because this seems very unusual in terms of the way the information has been released to this point. Yeah, this just, just feels a little different. Like uh, the, the, the usual patterns don't seem to be in play here. It doesn't... I, I don't I don't want to like presume innocence on Elliot's part or presume anything bad on the accuser's part, but it doesn't feel quite as sincere and urgent as other like instances of uh you know domestic abuse allegations. Like uh, not that uh you know falling short of this awful standard makes anyone below this standard innocent, but for the Johnny Manziel instances, uh you know like in one of them there was witnesses saying like they saw the argument and like they were screaming at each other in a car and then the second one there was uh you know the it seems like the police were called by someone other than the victim and by contrast in this case we have uh the police report uh as as far as tmz and and i think deadspin have said uh the police report said that there was a witness in the car that the the accuser is saying that this occurred in and uh that witness apparently said it didn't happen um not that that you know it doesn't make it open and shut like elliot is 
off the hook but it it feels weird that that happened and then also that this this like at the same time that the report is coming out she goes on instagram to make these like kind of cryptic postings of uh you know hey like i don't even know if we can confirm it's her in the photos or we don't know who she is obviously but uh the photos don't have any like obvious context other than that they're taken with a phone inside of a car and um yeah i just it, it feels weird to have that posted on instagram like in concert with this rep- report surfacing from like earlier this morning or whatever and then in in the in the instagram's instagram post she's not saying like ezekiel elliott did this she just like posted the photos and said like you know like ladies leave abusers and then like in the second of two posts apparently tagged his instagram and you would think like right wouldn't wouldn't you just say he did it like wouldn't wouldn't you come out and say that or is it like for some reason you're like hedging in some way like you don't want to go in all in with the accusation or something and i don't even know if like an official um like there's been no arrest definitely like we we can confirm that never happened so it just it just doesn't feel right like it that like at at i don't know it at the least feels like at least one side in this is hiding something maybe both who knows but like as presented it just doesn't feel the same as other cases like this and obviously whatever uh you know supposed text messages elliot's camp has that they were referring to um and multiple dallas area sports writers have said the same thing so like they're they're calling the press and telling them about this so i would imagine we'll get an actual offering on that front pretty soon because they definitely want to put this out soon if they can yeah Um, so yeah that hopefully will provide you know some useful information yeah nothing else really to say about it at this point just again in that information gathering phase and uh, we'll probably know a lot by monday as far as what maybe has transpired or what didn't happen with regards to ezekiel elliott now the other big news item came down late last night jj watt had back surgery he could miss the start of the season be the first time in his nfl career that he's missed games uh the big issue i have or the big concern i have is that when you're coming off of a surgery like this and it was a disc problem that watt dealt with last season you have surgery to repair that maybe you have some limitations in terms of how much you can train in season and even perhaps during the off season maybe snap counts become limited there's just a lot of potential downside now for Watt, at least to begin 2016, in addition to the potential for at least a couple games missed. The initial timetable was six to eight weeks. Now the timetable has been kind of set to at least eight weeks. I've seen an eight to 10 dropped out there as well. That would probably knock him out of action for at least two games and perhaps all of September if the longer end of that latter timetable is the one that ends up being the real timetable. Yeah, I was hoping for some like definite information on what his his medical outlook was today but it's it looks like we're just kind of maybe maybe it's impossible to tell right now and that's why we haven't gotten something very reliable as far as like a time missed guess but i think what you said makes sense like two games and because it's a back surgery that's not the kind of thing that you can i mean if he tries to just play through it tough it out that's really misguided and just likely to result in injury of a re-injury sword or something else getting messed up this isn't like a couple years ago when he played through like that separated elbow or whatever he had uh you can't just like put a brace on your back and be ready to go like everything falls apart if the back isn't stable so it's it's easy to imagine yeah like he misses two games and then when he does come back he's playing like 35 50 percent of the snaps instead of uh whatever i don't even know all of them probably yeah, he, I mean, he he like normally three four defensive linemen get capped at like 70 percent like defensive tackles basically get pa- capped at like 70 percent of the team snaps normally but you would imagine watt is basically in there on like all of them i'm trying to uh type in let's see i should have this in a second here um but if his if his idp value is you know based on the premise that he's going to play uh last year he played 96 percent of their snaps so that's crazy i've never seen anything like that um so yeah if he if he's only playing like 70 percent of the snaps for 14 of 16 games he's like he's nowhere near the idp value is normally so he's he, he might not even be in like the, the first two tiers of idp defensive linemen after this yeah, kind of a, a situation for me where in, in the stake league, I would have paid low double digits to get him previously. I probably will stay away short of maybe throwing like a buck or two at him. In the stake league, really. Well, like, the, the way the benches are set up, it's yeah, almost it's impossible. Yeah, you have to cut your IDPs, at least one of them, just to like always have three idps and a kicker or whatever it is that we do in that league um that league's bench needs some work 
I yeah, I vote for that. Anyway, <laughs> it's the floor, it will the never floor the floor has never been open for we, this. We never there, it's impossible to to get uh anything done in that league, so I probably won't even try. So the main conversation we were going to have on today's episode is looking at the running back ADP report over at the NFFC. You can find it online just Google NFFC ADP. Uh, it should pop up there and and what you have is a position where everything is being shifted back, right? With receivers getting drafted earlier, running backs and quarterbacks have been falling. Uh, Le'Veon Bell's ADP before this news came out was 5.5. So in most leagues, middle part of round one at the latest is going as high as like second overall. The NFFC, of course, uh, full point PPR league. So that uh, kind of pushes people to be a little more aggressive with receivers anyway. But in this year in particular, uh, people are more aggressive than usual. So Bell's going to fall to that top spot. Uh, eventually, Todd Gurley is going to be the number one back based on ADP. David Johnson's probably going to be a few picks behind him, just as he is right now. And then from there, you've got Ezekiel Elliott, Adrian Peterson, and Devonta Freeman all kind of hanging around the back of the top 15. Elliott and Peterson going a couple picks on average ahead of Freeman right now. The top five, for the most part, all makes sense. And once you adjust Bell's spot, it's still in the right order, in my opinion, with the exception of Elliott. I think you and I are in agreement that this this could be the best back in the league from day one. I think if the Rams' offense were just a little more competent, I'd prefer Todd Gurley. Yeah, but it's almost like a coin flip because the volume should definitely be there for Gurley. I think it's going to be very similar for Elliott. I just wonder how much the Cowboys are going to lean on guys like Alfred Morris and Darren McFadden once he's healthy as uh, just other options to sort of distribute the workload and, and maybe not wear the rookie down too much especially early on in the season well i think uh you know presuming no uh nothing bad comes out of this this story from today about ezekiel elliott like if he plays 16 games or it goes into the year without a suspension anyway i'm prepared to make him the number one running back in my rankings because i yeah Gurley might get more work than elliott i don't know but it, I, i'm not convinced that's the case and i think on a you know a per touch basis elliott will be pretty easily ahead of Gurley just because uh, I mean I think Gurley is the better player but Elliott plays on the team with the best offensive line in football perhaps the best offensive line in football since the Cowboys teams of the mid 90s and they are committed to running the ball Tony Romo if he's healthy you know that might not be the case all year but if he's healthy they'll they'll score points and he'll be their leading scorer from scrimmage almost certainly so I think there's a real chance that Elliott if he plays all 16 games and if Romo plays, you know, at least 14, uh, he could have like 25 touchdowns from scrimmage or something like that. Because other than who, who's going to score touchdowns in that offense other than Des Bryant? Nobody. Like Terrence Williams might get like six or seven, but Cole Beasley isn't scoring points. Jason Witten doesn't score touchdowns. He scores like three or four a year. So I think I think the ceiling is extremely high on Elliott. And I think the floor is really high, too. Again, provided that, you know, nothing comes out of this smoke that has surfaced today. The other player in this bunch, and the one that I'm probably the most hesitant to invest in, is Devontae Freeman. I yeah. think back to week one of last year, Tevin Coleman had won the job. Like he was the lead back. Like he was. It was a timeshare, but Coleman was supposed to be the guy. He got hurt. Freeman played very well early on. That really shifted the way the workload was distributed from here on out. And when you saw that, you kind of looked at Freeman and said, "Okay, call a lot of passes, scored a bunch of TDs early." wasn't a, he's not a bad player i just can't help but wonder if coleman is a better running back yeah i I definitely i think he's the better pure runner but freeman is the better running back right now like he knows how to play like an nfl pro whereas coleman he missed a lot of reps last year between his injury and just kind of getting outperformed by freeman when he was around and uh yeah you don't know what level of polish he'll have you, you would hope he's you know many strides ahead of where he was last year after having you know, an off season, uh, in addition to last year's rookie season to work. I think Freeman stays untouchable on, you know, the majority of downs. I just, I would be concerned if some kind of arrangement where it's like Freeman starts all 16 games, you know, Freeman exceeds 15 carries in uh, something like 12 of those games catches an average pushes for like 80 receptions on the year or something like that. But I can imagine, like, basically any scenario where they're just not interested in passing, like, Coleman's in the game. And that might come up, especially if they have a lead in a, you know, red zone carries. 
It's like, why would you put Freeman out there instead of Coleman if you just you just knew you wanted to run the ball anyway? So, and, and again, like I'm, I actually think Coleman's good prospect. Like I was high on him coming out of uh, Indiana. I didn't know what argument there was to make for Melvin Gordon being in any given place in the draft and Coleman not being right there at the same point. And that's that doesn't seem to mean much with Gordon having a disastrous rookie year. But he went 15th overall, 17th overall, something like that. Coleman fell to the third in in my big board they both would have gone like 30th or something like that so i have just i have an unusually high opinion of coleman but i also liked freeman coming out of florida state so it's not like i was waiting for him to fail exactly yeah they're stocked just at at the least for those first two running back spots but i i I just see a little more downside with freeman than you typically want from someone you're going to pay up for in the late part of the first round or early part of round two. Uh, rounding out the top 10 at the position, you got Lamar Miller going about 21st overall. Jamal Charles just inside the top 25 coming off of his second career ACL tear. Yeah. Uh, and then Mark Ingram and Eddie Lacy at 32 and 32 and a half respectively overall. I mean, okay, so Lamar Miller is going to get more carries. That's, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Is the efficiency going to hold up? And, and do you like that offense at least from the context of they're a team that probably will use him as a three down back it's not just that yeah. he's going to get more carries it's that they don't really have someone else you like to sh- to to split the workload with him yeah i don't think there's any competition for carries there in fact like the the runners from the past couple of years have been awful aside from foster like alfred blue grimes I'm, i don't really understand why those guys are even in the league so uh i'm not worried about them tyler irvin is the guy they took out of uh, san jose state and i think the fourth round he's just a passing down back and the uh, you know pass catching gimmick in general so i think miller gets all the work he can handle it is fair to wonder how much he can handle he hasn't been super durable in his career he's had uh shoulder issues i think flare up a couple times so um, with that said, when you're comparing with like the alternatives are guys like Charles, second ACL tear, Freeman, uh, kind of a dubious workload premise, I think. And, you know, Eddie Lacy, Mark Ingram, guys with various questions. Miller does not have worse marks as far as the questions go compared to those guys. So he's he's ahead of Freeman for me pretty easily. Uh, but so, so is Charles. I, I, I think it's a little weird that Charles is uh, it's like we're presuming like a second ACL tear is that much for him but then like somebody like bell we basically didn't penalize it all for and granted the one time it was like a leg break and not an acl tear um but either way like leg issues and we basically just said doesn't matter like he'll, he'll be, he's ready to go um i feel closer to that way about charles than i do you know pessimistic so i i'm pretty sold on charles as, as a good running back one value whereas to to me freeman is only running back one in ppr so I've seen some some Mark Ingram buzz as far as him being maybe someone that people are overlooking. Yeah, and that makes sense. It, part of that could just be that the Saints offense isn't the offense that we grew accustomed to in the Sean Payton era. There seems to be a little more balance right now. Uh, they don't really have a lot in terms of alternatives pushing him for carries. I mean, do you see him belonging inside this top 10 at the position? It's it's durability is the only question with him and he has had trouble staying on the field in the nfl so it's it's no it's no small question uh he had what was it a shoulder surgery this uh okay so yeah he had a torn rotator cuff last year and uh played one 16 game season out of the one two three four five he's been in the league the other the other four times no more than 13 games so i don't know how we can project more than like 13 14 games from him but again when the alternatives are guys who are either hurt or just don't have as much talent or don't have as much uh, role security as he does that that two games missed might not mean anything relatively speaking uh still i I consider ingram probably behind i know this is this is man i want to put him behind Lacey, but i won't i know that's i I gotta be reasonable uh but i do prefer doug martin and Lashawn mccoy over mark ingram uh ingram might be you know the better per play basis but it's just he's he's, he has not stayed healthy in the nfl yeah i've i've been hesitant to pay the current sticker price on ingram but that doesn't mean i don't like him the mccoy thing the the way mccoy is going to be used i'm shocked he's not going earlier martin is in an offense that i actually like a little better i like tampa bay's offense more than new orleans offense right now for sure i think that gives me some confidence in martin and then eddie lacy i mean we already saw the photos of him slim down pretty early in the offseason hanging with the p90x guy uh changing up his diet a little bit i mean 
Eddie Lacy was a good player before last year, and yeah. last year he just got really heavy. And we saw him, of course, run out of gas against Arizona on a play where I think every other running back in the NFL would have scored. Lacy like kind of looked around, like, "Hey guys, you gonna tackle me?" Because <laughs> I'm getting getting tired. Like it, it just it was such a, a strange thing to see. I mean, he probably gained fifteen or twenty pounds last year from the time he reported to camp until their last playoff game against Arizona. I think he's been overweight the entire time he's been in the NFL, but yeah, the last the last year was definitely concerning. There was you would have to believe he was pushing like two seventy, two eighty even. Um I think he played at Alabama around two fifteen. Uh, there was the, the narrative about him as soon as he was drafted, just because he had already gotten up to about two thirty around the draft time. There's the narrative like, oh, he's a big back, like Jamal Lewis. Like he wasn't really that big of a running back in college. He was he was actually a big playback, and that's that's another thing about why I like him so much is like I I have an unusually high regard for him as a prospect because I think he showed like Edger and James type athleticism and size combination when he was in college, but yeah, when he got to the pros, he was already like forty pounds heavier than that. Yeah, maybe 250, 260 last year, up from the 230, and I think you're right. It could be even more than that at the very end of the season. But uh, you look at him as a guy that was pretty firmly top 10 his first two years in the league. The Packers offense should get back to being what it was before Jordy Nelson's injury a year ago. I, I would expect to bounce back from, from Cobb. I expect Nelson to be at least 85 or 90% of what he was before he got hurt. And you know the, the addition of Jared Cook doesn't make cook like a great fantasy player but it adds one more thing to the offense potentially that they haven't had since Jermichael Finley retired so it just it looks like they're going into the season in a much better place as an entire offense and with that comes more opportunities for Lacey in close in the TDs last year three touchdowns and 187 carries uh red zone attempts were cut in half he went from 40 in 2014 to 20 last year and part of that was on the Packers' overall offensive efficiency taking a hit. Yeah, I would I would caution to even even my optimistic take on Lacey. I would not expect him to be like among the league leaders in touchdowns. I think um, I can imagine because, just because the Packers throw so much with Rodgers in the red zone because it, it makes sense to. He's just that good, and uh, I I don't see Lacey going over like eleven or twelve rushing touchdowns, but I can see him having you know two to four receiving, and I just think he'll have a lot of yards from scrimmage. So I particularly when we're talking about a thinned field of competition as we are i think lacy as a top 10 running back is is something that is very plausible and uh yeah it, it is it is a risk though because who knows if he's gonna stay in shape like it doesn't seem like he's a self-starter as far as that goes so uh, even if he goes into the season in great shape who knows if he doesn't just like kind of have bad habits and not necessarily like get fat during the year but just kind of like lose his tip-top shape as the season goes on i wonder what his setup is as far as accountability i mean it seems like he's legitimately become friends with is it tony horton is he the, the p90x oh, guy I don't know. <laughs> like they're they're like bros now so that's good if that holds up in season and he's got someone kind of in his ear like hey like make sure you don't eat a few snickers bars today like something like that you already had a few snickers bars yeah um no it's it's concerning that it happened at, that the weight gain happened at all right like like mccarthy somehow like didn't seem to be aware of it until the like wheels fell off of the team entirely and it's like he started to do a self-evaluation at that point does mccarthy look like a guy who knows a lot about nutrition no and it's it's just weird right that he he would in the middle of the season be like well we kind of like bench him as a disciplinary thing because he's like not in shape good enough it's like that wasn't any different in august like it wasn't any different two years ago like what why is it taking like the rest of the team falling apart for accountability for this one individual become like something that's entertained at all like it's it just seems like he he doesn't he doesn't really have any discipline sometimes the whole world has to burn before someone says hey there's someone's doing something wrong like they lose like four games in a row and, or like the that backup offensive line lets rogers get sacked like 15 times against the cardinals and mccarthy's just like eddie looks fat <laughs> eddie looks fat today <laughs> eddie looks a little heavier than usual uh just outside the top 10 i mentioned doug martin before i think you and i talked about matt forte uh, last week when we were talking about the AFC and NFC East, I mean, his volume should still be there. He's going to catch a lot of passes. I think the price on Forte is about right. But C.J. Anderson's kind of an interesting case because Denver's offense will probably look a lot like it did last year. The passing game might actually be better without Peyton Manning 
regardless of who they decide to land on as their quarterback. But C.J. Anderson had turf toe at the beginning of last year, and to me that largely explains why the per-carry numbers were down. Uh, starting with that Sunday night game against the Packers, he seemed to get healthy or just start to feel a little better. Whatever, whatever it was, that seemed to be the turning point in his season. And from that point forward, he looked like the player many were expecting when they took him mid to late first round last year. So at his current price, he's not going to catch a ton of passes I feel like C.J. Anderson actually offers an, a nice sort of buy-low opportunity uh, if you're playing the weight on your first running back game and you want to get him late round three, early round four. You're right. I am a little skeptical of his talent, but uh, that's because I'm, I'm drawing on memories of him at California where he was a backup and he went undrafted after not doing anything interesting in the pre-draft process. But in the NFL, yeah, I got to give him credit. He has looked pretty explosive at a lot of points. And... Uh, if he if it was turf toe that was the plausible explanation for a slow start last year then you can reason if you if you believe he's healthy there's no reason to expect anything other than what he was at the end of the year and ronnie hillman isn't going to be a problem Devonte booker i think will get in the picture but this is an offense that has no realistic ambitions of throwing the ball except to like to demarius thomas 130 times or wherever and emmanuel sanders around something similar but that's still not much of that's a very low volume of passing even if they get to like you know 450 attempts or something like that and gary kubiak is you know the the shanahan school of run heavy zone blocking kind of stuff so if he's their lead runner just by default he should have utility i think hillman's out of the picture and there should be enough room for two running backs and i think uh anderson could have enough room to get like 18 carries a game for however many games he stays healthy and then still have enough room for booker to get like 10 carries a game over over a similar span and see for me like if you're looking at mark ingram at 32 overall versus cj anderson at 42 overall it's it's anderson at that price all day for me yeah and i think i at, at 32 i think i would prefer ingram over some of the alternatives that had gone ahead of him in that range too so i, I think it makes a lot of sense to try to get two of a guy's like you know charles ingram lacy martin anderson mccoy and uh try, try to go with that kind of route rather than you know necessarily try to you know get two clear running back ones i think maybe maybe the value is getting those getting two pseudo running back ones in the third fourth round range or something like that the next kind of block of running backs as you get past anderson includes mccoy again 46 is the overall adp 14th among backs thomas rawls coming off ankle surgery right there with mccoy Mm -hmm. and then carlos hyde just outside the top 50 right now but you think about what chip kelly's offense should look like regardless of whether it's Kaepernick or Blaine Gabbert, they do have some mobility at the quarterback position. I think there's this belief that Blaine Gabbert is just a traditional pocket passer who can't really do anything else. But if you look at the numbers last year, he ran a bit more than you'd think, and he was pretty good at it too. So I expect a little more of that in the Kelly offense. And you know, Hyde, I think, should be a decent fit, at least a better fit than DeMarco Murray, if only because Murray probably helped Chip Kelly learn something about the way he needs to use his running backs. You would hope so, and uh, at, at the very least, I do think Hyde has a little bit more lateral nimbleness, whatever agility. Than, oh yeah, definitely. Uh, um, but yeah, not that he's you know he, he's a big back still, but Murray's just kind of straight line-ish. Like Murray, Murray's not the player he was in college when he was playing at like 195 pounds. So uh, Hyde, Hyde should be a little better in that regard. But you would just hope Kelly learned the lesson and doesn't try to do the same thing again i generally take chip kelly to be a lot smarter than the average coach so i'm hope i'm cautiously optimistic that if there are lessons to learn he's more likely to learn them than any other coach you know even if he's doing something horribly stupid you would you would bet that kelly would be the first one to stop doing the stupid thing out of a group of any given uh, group of head coaches aside from you know the the belichicks and whatever so i I'm, i'm optimistic about hyde in terms of his his use uh how they how they use him in in that offense but i i do wonder like what will that offense amount to exactly and what what kind of shares will there be to go around uh i'm not presuming many touchdowns so uh i, I guess i'm banking on more so yardage from scrimmage which at that tempo that they presume to to operate there should be that um there should be carries it's just yeah it's like how how, how worried are you about that passing game you know crippling the rest of the function of that offense yeah it's a legitimate concern because the pass catchers 
are very suspect, you know, once you get past Torrey Smith in particular, but they, they may find a combination that works for them. Yeah, it might. And in what we were saying on the radio today, like, I'm, I'm really interested to see what a mobile quarterback, like, as you said, Gabbert can run, even if people don't associate that with him. Like, he's got about, he could play receiver in the NFL if he needed to. And uh, he's, he's going to add an element that just wasn't there, not even with Sanchez, but especially not with Bradford or Foles. So it'll it'll be interesting to see if that running quarterback, like if if, if Gabbert rips a couple twenty yard runs out out to the you know breaks containment, gets twenty yards a couple times, to see if that'll just fundamentally change the way defenses approach the entire offense. Yeah, you're right. It absolutely could do something like that. Uh, you move into the next block, you see Deion Lewis. I I, I don't think I can pay that price for him. I, I think the usage, if the usage is going to be there find i just don't know health wise if he's going to be good to go early on in the season that to me is the big question he's got to go later than that for me to actually end up with a share uh, demarco murray seems underpriced 56 is the adp he puts him 18th among running backs Mariota, of course has mobility with that you get more running lanes inside and that is exactly where demarco murray wants to be running yeah, I agree. I I don't I again I understand the excitement about Lewis. Like he had, he had some fun games last year, but this is a guy who is a non-prospect, got rejected by several organizations in the NFL, and he shows up to New England and this thing that we've seen happen many times before happens. Guy no one else wanted does well in New England. Like I've I I can understand buying in. I'm just not really going to uh, especially when James White is there. I know James White wasn't as good last year as Lewis. Like Lewis was great last year, but White has a very similar skill set and was a better prospect coming into the NFL. I'm not convinced that A, Lewis will be fully healthy, and B, like if he if he is limited at all, I think that opens the door for uh, White to basically just show if he's gotten better in the last year, and I think there's a decent chance that he has. So it's considering there's no discount involved. I just don't understand the appeal of of Deion Lewis in most formats right now. Like I would definitely prefer Murray. Um, I would I would take Lewis over you know a Jeremy Langford or a Matt Jones, but that's only because I don't think they have any real value. So I, I would probably take Ryan Matthews, and I know there's risk in that because they're talking about how they don't think he's his greatest fit for that offense. But I just don't see the, enough upside from Lewis, a guy who uh he he never exceeded 15 carries last year and that was in the first game and then after that he never got past eight carries in a game so this is basically just like it kind of reminds me of shane vereen a few years back remember when um like aaron hernandez just got arrested and people were like oh they're gonna use vereen to pick up the slack and it's it was he had a few exciting games and then it just turned out like actually that was a ceiling that you saw and he trended back toward his his median and now he's not so exciting anymore and i think he'll that won't quite happen with lewis but it's something similar is kind of what i expect i guess so the the player you mentioned uh, in passing there was jeremy langford and i think people are are really interested in langford as a possible sleeper and i I like the article it was written by mike clay before he, he switched from pro football focus over to espn just outlining Reason after reason why Jeremy Langford's not going to be good. Uh, among the reasons, it, Clay says he's not a good receiver. He's an inefficient runner, which the yards per carry number last year certainly attests to. Uh, the blocking analysts over at Pro Football Focus graded him out at 128th among backs that were on the field for at least one pass play out, out of 134. Yeah, like, <laughs> it's very close to the bottom. Uh, very TD dependent. That's another reason why I didn't like him. It's a really good piece that Mike put together. And then he has a list at the bottom of rookie running backs from the past 10 years who had at least 140 carries but were below 3.8 yards per carry. And the one name I was thinking about when Jeremy Langford came up previously was Le'Veon Bell. I mean, if you think back, Le'Veon Bell, also a Michigan State back, uh, came into the league, did not play all that well on a per carry basis as a rookie back in 2013. It's a big difference. Bell was a second round pick. Langford was a fourth rounder. But 3.5 yards per carry is all Bell got, a 244 totes as a rookie. Sometimes players do improve, but then you have to look at that Steelers team as well. How bad was that offensive line? How much of that was actually on the run blocking as opposed to Bell's ability as a runner? So do you look at Langford as a guy that has any sort of significant 
growth potential or do you see him the way kind of the way Mike Clay broke him down as a, a below average running back who just happens to have a crack at the job right now I agree with Clay entirely I don't think Langford is that good I'm not convinced he's better than Kadeem Carey I'm not convinced he's better than uh, I, I'm pretty sure in fact that Jordan Howard is a better runner uh, he won't play that much because he's he's not polished and currently has no skill set as a passing down back but Jordan Howard with a football is better than Langford like it's just i'm it's true and uh, that doesn't necessarily mean much there's a bunch of cases where you can find like oh this guy who's not even on a team is better with a ball and it's like he doesn't play because he can't block or he's just you know teams don't like him as a person whatever but langford just isn't good enough to get that much benefit of the doubt in my opinion and, and i know the the bell uh, comparison is interesting but at least bell's receiving production that year was off the charts with langford it was just kind of like eh, he, he had a few nice games uh I almost wonder if it's like people are just high on the people who are high on Langford are high uh, on him just because of like two axes of consideration. Like one, oh, the 40 time. He had the fastest 40 time in that in that combine. And then the second is like they just have vague, fond memories of him in DFS where they got him at like 3,200 uh, out of, you know, whatever budget, basically like minimum salary a bunch of times. And he had a few nice games, inefficient though games um the other thing is that Lavian bell was way better coming out of college like Lavian bell uh was someone that i thought would go in like the third or fourth but that was just because i i assumed the league would be sour on a a a back with like four six speed but he had he had really good agility drills and in college he was just he was really 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 good in college uh langford was just kind of like pretty good and it took him like four years to get there like in the year but the second to to last uh, year that langford was at michigan state his first year as a starter he headed into the fall listed as a backup to a guy who is now a linebacker for michigan state uh riley bulo um so yeah it's it's the skill set just isn't there for langford for me I, the athleticism is adequate but a 442 40 yard dash in conjunction with his production and film at michigan state just doesn't add up to much it's it, it, i would need like 435 i would need better numbers as, as a rusher in college and it, it just wasn't there and uh, I, I don't think he's that good good a good case uh, to stay away from langford at that price just outside the top 60 overall and just inside the top 20 at the position the last player in the top 20 is latavius murray it seems like more of the same from the raiders i, I can't imagine a scenario where Derek carr's production goes up at all but i can imagine a scenario where the raiders are a better team and if that happens the low td rate we saw from latavius murray a year ago could be a lot less of a problem maybe even be no problem at all when we look at this season yeah i don't i don't have a super high opinion of murray as a prospect but he he definitely you know held his own last year even if he might have disappointed some people who thought he was going to be like the next bo jackson or whatever just because he had some dubiously uh, accumulated numbers at the the central florida pro day the same setting by the way where brashad perman ran a 4 40 after no one thought he was really that fast at all before that day um, so I think the workout numbers that people cite when when trying to hype up Murray are just invalid. But uh, he did pretty well last year. He 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 at least can give you reps, right? Like he he at least can take the workload, which is actually one of the biggest concerns about him being a, as tall as he is, being a, a high runner. You worry about the durability more than anything else. And instead, he was kind of like reliable, but didn't have any of the explosiveness everybody thought he would have. But either way, I, I think he a did okay enough and b doesn't face strong enough competition to really lose his role uh he might lose some of like the passing down work to deandre washington out of texas tech uh he, but deandre washington is only like 5'8, 195 200 so he's not going to really take a, a workhorse role unless murray gets hurt in my opinion like they wouldn't want to do that ideally no it seems like he would contribute mostly as a pass catcher doing what they wanted roy halu to do perhaps a, a year ago have you ever wished you could be an NFL general manager? Well, now you can, thanks to Reality Sports Online, a powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team like an NFL general manager. Reality Sports Online was created by former NFL front office personnel and features a revolutionary free agency auction room, which mimics NFL free agency, enabling fantasy owners to negotiate and sign the NFL's top talent to single or multi-year contracts. The platform can host up to 32 teams and has tons of other cool features in addition to free agency like a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, 
injured reserve, automated contract, its salary cap functionality, and much, much more. Test your general manager skills for free at realitysportsonline.com in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use the promo code WIREPOD to receive a 10% discount on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. All right, get some other players of intrigue at the running back position, looking outside the top 20. A guy we talked about almost every Friday last season, Danny Woodhead. Finally expensive in full point PPR leagues. I mean, at 63 overall, 21 among running backs, I don't think I'm going to have many shares if that's actually the price. Yeah, I won't. I I can't convince myself to take Woodhead over Ryan Matthews, Duke Johnson, probably not even like Jeremy Hill. Um, it's just, it's just so it, it banks on two, it banks on a couple things like a, they actually use him at like a starter level frequency as a pass catcher and b like Melvin Gordon doesn't get any better than he was a year ago. It, it feels like paying the, the peak price, which just as a general rule is something that if you, you pass on that, you'll be better for it. Um, even if you end up wrong this one time or two. So I'm not going to own him if he's going 21st among running backs. I get the PPR appeal, and I, I do like him. Like I've owned him, I think, on uh, and teams both of the last two years, and I only play like two leagues each year in season-long fantasy football. So I'm I'm not biased against him. It's just like I'm like you said, he's finally expensive, and it's like, well, I guess my interest doesn't stretch to this price. So the Ryan Matthews thing makes a lot of sense. Volume should be there. I mean, no Demarco Murray, the Philly offense probably doesn't have a ton of upside but it has enough i mean doug peterson from the andy reed coaching tree we like trees a lot this year i guess we've always liked coaching trees though uh, ryan matthews per carry a good player and a guy that can catch some passes i don't know if he's going to be used as a dominant pass catcher uh you know 30 catches might be a reasonable expectation but i don't know if i'd really pencil him in for much more than that yeah i I know these there's a couple beat writers in philadelphia who were who were hypothesizing that matthews just doesn't have the skill set that the the reed peterson offense looks for at running back and i'm kind of skeptical of that actually because it's not like andy reed always had jamal charles and it, it didn't always have LaShawn McCoy either. Like they used to use guys like Carell Buckhalter and uh, Deuce Staley. And Staley, Staley was shifty. Don't get me wrong; he was a good receiver. But yeah, Matthews is a guy who's big and fast and has been productive on a per carry basis. It's when he gets hurt that he's, it's it's problematic to have him. Obviously, but the idea that like oh they're gonna try to like get competition for him because he's not quite darren sproles it's like that doesn't really make sense like there's too many there's too many running back snaps to account for for them to have no use for matthews he's the best one matthews averaged 4.9 yards per carry way back in 2011 but he averaged 5.1 yards per carry last year 4.5 yards per carry in his final season with the chargers in 2014 he's always been good on a per carry basis caught 50 passes way back in 2011 with the chargers that was in 14 games caught 39 balls in 12 games in 2012 and even caught 20 last year in 13 games you're looking at a personnel group that also had darren sproles in it so i think there's going to be plenty to go around as far as touches and and the injuries are a concern yeah at the same time they've kept the mileage down so he's accumulated a little less physical wear and tear from actually playing by suffering injuries not that it's it's a great thing but you don't have the typical heavy workload concerns in addition to the injury concerns you might have for a typical 29 year old back and i'm just not concerned about matthews's injury history if the alternative is being concerned about is he going to play less than chris ivory is he going to play less than Arian Foster? Can he hold off Giovanni Bernard for snaps? Can he, you know, is, is he going to uh, have to worry about Stephen Ridley showing up in the goal line scenarios? Like, there's enough snaps to go around in an NFL offense for Matthews to play just like 55% and still be a top 15 fantasy back as long as he's, you know, getting carries on those snaps, which I've, I, I'm just not worried about that. I, I, I think I think it's downright pessimistic to on on a pessimistic uh reflection of of like what you expect of the eagles new coaching staff if you really think that they'd be like uh this guy just isn't aesthetically the ideal let's have someone worse in there instead because they're aesthetically more pleasing and also andy reed did have a use for spencer ware last year and whatever concerns might apply to matthews about his pass catching niftiness like spencer ware was like a fullback so like it's I, I, i don't think it makes sense 
Looking at some other backs in this range, Duke Johnson, I mean, PPR leagues especially, I think he gets a big bump. How many carries are you expecting Duke Johnson to get with Isaiah Crowell still in that backfield? I really don't know. I'm not high on Crowell, but uh, like a, as a prospect, I didn't never really liked him. I thought he was overrated at Georgia before he got kicked off the team. And in the NFL, I've I've not found him impressive either. But I, he is big. He's like he's like pushing two twenty five, two thirty. Duke Johnson doesn't. Uh, so I don't know. He might he might get a lot of carries, almost as if almost just like as like the Troy Hambrick human shield of the offense who just like takes the carries because no one else can but then they go to duke johnson when they're when they're in a scenario where they're like they actually want a an explosive outcome because i i really like duke johnson as a prospect but it, it's he, he didn't get anything going as a runner last year and there is reason to think like you know durability concerns may be in play so crowell's got to eat somebody's got to eat a bunch of carries that duke johnson isn't going to take and it, it looks like it's crowell um, even if he could barely beat out Terrence West or whatever. So the the last three backs that I, I would look at as guys that could take on significant workloads who are pretty underpriced based on where they either were last year or what they could do with the increased volume. I mean, Jeremy Hill, this time a year ago, was going 70 picks earlier in some cases. Like getting, second round, right? Yeah, second round in some leagues, getting even pushed up late first round, I feel like, in others. So about oh, a yeah. 65 pick difference almost in ADP compared to where he is right now uh doesn't want his career to be defined by that fumble against pittsburgh in the playoffs good noble effort but <laughs> i mean this guy looked good in 2014 and looked pretty bad a season ago which jeremy hill are you expecting to show up and do you take the chance that he can get back to that 2014 form based on the current price let's consider the possibility that last year was the worst case scenario and uh last case worst case scenario or last year's worst case scenario turned out to be about uh, 850 yards 12 touchdowns from scrimmage that's that's not what his people were hoping for but if you're taking him as a running back three and in this nffc adp he comes in at 26th so uh generally if it's like a 12 team ppr league we can project him to be one of the first running back threes selected if you get him as a running back three nothing to worry about like that's again if only for like the lack of com- competition at the position for fantasy like the, the whatever risk you're taking on in that scenario is still not something considerable compared to everybody else in your league i do think there's a good possibility he finishes as a, a not necessarily reliable in the sense of week-to-week easily projected production but aggregate numbers top 25 running back for me like i, I would take him over matt jones and jeremy langford uh, i would take him over giovanni bernard even probably in ppr but uh yeah it's just you you wonder like is he actually going to get the ball if they're losing or like if they need to catch up and i don't think he will that much but i think this is a team that's generally pretty good and i don't expect them to be worse than like the ravens or the browns so i think i think hill's gonna get like he, the, the, the stranglehold on red zone carries will remain like they're not gonna give giovanni bernard that many red zone carries compared to hill so i think the touchdown production remains as long as you believe that the bengals are going to be above average as a team or no worse than eight and eight something like that so i I actually like his chances of outperforming the expectations and uh again he had 12 touchdowns last year even if it was described as you know the sky falling and he finished the year pretty well like i I know that fumble was awful but uh he had let me see three five he had six touchdowns in the last eight weeks so that's that's kind of reason to think that the first half was just unusually bad so you look at the next group and it's the last group of, of starters really uh, frank gore amir abdullah jonathan stewart melvin gordon rounding things out 29 to 32 at the position right now melvin gordon i thought would be a lot better last year you look at the uh, football outsiders rankings for offensive line run blocking san diego was 31st out of 32 teams last year certainly that was a factor a microfracture knee surgery in the offseason for gordon as i always want to remind everyone microfracture is a type of procedure it doesn't necessarily indicate the degree to which gordon's knee was messed up so you have to 
kind of look at that as just a, a procedure, not that, that not, not something that defines. There's a such thing severity. as proactive microfracture nowadays, apparently. Right, so and it might and, be that as opposed to like, oh, his knee won't work. That's that's what it seems like. Is it's it's more like that with Melvin Gordon, at least based on the injury people we've talked to, including our own Jeff Stotts. I mean, if you're looking at those guys all lumped together, Gore's carries probably going to go down. I don't know who the Colts are going to give them to. It's a backfield to probably avoid as much as he possibly can. Abdullah should do a lot more. I, I do worry that Shane Vereen poaches various carries from him, especially... Uh, Stephen really. Yeah, Stephen Ridley. Yeah, Vereen's not there. I, man, I, but I no, just, Ridley is a, like no one's talking about it. I feel like he might want to be might be one of the best late round running back sleepers because like that offense has like the theoretical Joik Bell role. Like, yeah, they were giving Joik Bell the ball a lot, forcing it to him when he was just wasn't any good last year. Yeah, the the other the other former Patriot uh, yeah. <laughs> Ridley, not not Vereen. Uh, but you look at those guys all clustered together. I mean, which one do you feel the most comfortable with? Again, it's probably like an RB three or a late RB two if you really wait at the position and go heavy. You know, maybe you get Gronk early and try to get the receivers you want after that. You wait on running back a while. This this might be a group of players you're choosing from for your second starting running back. While acknowledging the risk, I would definitely take Gore first out of that group, if only because. I think, like, I'm not expecting him to be explosive, but last year's numbers were pretty good, if only for how big the workload was. And now if we consider the possibility that however many touches he gets, they're going to be much closer to the goal line because of Andrew Luck being the quarterback. So I think I think the scoring opportunities will go up. Maybe he loses some of his workload to, like, Josh Ferguson, something... But like yeah, like it, it's it, Robert Turbin, I guess, might be the biggest worry. But this is not a strong. There's not a lot of competition in the field in that Indianapolis backfield. So I, I'm not worried about Gore losing anything unless it's like an injury. And he's been surprisingly durable ever since his his horrible knee injury days at Miami, Florida. Uh, he he must just be one of those guys who's just good at slipping away when the contact approaches because he he just seems to keep going. Yeah, it's kind of remarkable that he's still relevant at this age given the uh the the beating he took throughout his time in college uh the other two backs that are going even cheaper than that group that i think are kind of useful to begin the season at least rashad jennings at 125 and justin forsett also right around pick 125 forsett could lose the job to kenneth dixon in a matter of weeks that could happen but i think about the mark tressman offense and the lack of, of proven depth options in the passing game. You could see a guy like Forsett catching a lot of balls, even if he's sharing carries, especially in full-point PPR leagues. He could be useful. And if, if the Giants consolidate the carries the way they're saying they're going to, Rashad Jennings at his current price is actually a bargain. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I would definitely take Rashad Jennings over like you know, Theo Riddick, Melvin Gordon, Chris Ivory, whatever. Over Gore, too? uh probably yeah probably like he's jennings i think it's safe to say is more injury prone for his career uh not that that you know carries over one to one for future projections but i also think he's also like a uniquely safe uh fit for a starting running back function in that offense like there are other the competition is vereen who is a receiver basically Orleans Darqua and Bobby Rainey, who are you know backups, but they they could they could complicate things. It's true, but otherwise, it's Paul Perkins, the fifth round pick rookie, who I, I like quite a bit, but I'm not convinced he'll be as good as Jennings right out of the gate. And Andre Williams is nothing. So I, it's injuries that you worry about with Jennings. I think you can't expect more than 12 games out of him, but at that price, you'll take that 12 starts. Yeah, another good RB3 option that really doesn't cost much and someone you got to be thinking about if you are waiting to address that position. And there are a lot of interesting names that are going to catch passes. If you're in a full-point PPR league, there's a, guys like Chris Thompson even you can get in your endgame yeah. who are going to have a pretty useful like role. Using them as far as figuring out when exactly those big games are, are going to be, always challenging with those types of players because they're so dependent upon game flow. But plenty of guys that you can wait on what about andre ellington he was he was i mean mm. maybe the injuries are just too much for him to overcome it's, but as, as that role player as, as that sort of fifth or sixth running back in a full point ppr league could you see with health could you see him having a significant role or do they just have so many different weapons there that he's really going to be limited in I, terms of volume even in games where he's involved i think he's their break in case of emergency running back like i think 
Uh, David Johnson is who they give the ball to when they're in, you know, normal, vaguely competitive circumstances. Chris Johnson, I think, will be the one who gets the carries if there's like leads and that they are just trying to run the clock out of. But they wouldn't use Ellington for that role, right? Because he's not he's not really a human shield running back because he needs the human shield. Like he he's he's explosive and he looks awesome a lot of the times when he's healthy, but he's so easily losing his healthy status that it doesn't really make sense for him to be just you know a a rep eater so i think he's probably just someone who uh when johnson uh david johnson or chris johnson whatever is tired and it's a competitive situation or it's like it's hurry up he he's perfect for that because he's just dynamite off the bench always uh as long as he's healthy but yeah it's like the more work you give him the 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 less likely that is to remain the case i think it just makes me ill thinking about how much i paid for him last year in the stopa league and how little i got from from andre ellington but yeah that ship seems to have sailed with the emergence of david johnson and with the resurgence of of chris johnson as we saw i think your your breakdown is right they seem more likely to lean on chris johnson when they're protecting leads and want to give david johnson a few series off to ease out some of the the wear and tear on him that's going to wrap things up for this episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by RealitySportsOnline.com. Be sure to use the promo code WirePod when you sign up today. Have a great weekend. Nick and I are back with you on Monday. that by the foot there's no better ride than an old station wagon room for six people facing forward two people facing backward and a whole lot of luggage lumber and bicycles haphazardly strapped to the roof if you can parallel park that beast you can park anything and with some quality parts and a little napa know-how you can keep your land ship running longer stronger it's not obsolete it's a rare treasure that's napa know-how napa Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.